All right, well, welcome back to our 360 Preps podcast. Uh, all four of us are here today. I'm Tim Martinez, assistant sports editor, along with Mike Rice, sports editor, and reporters Meg Wachnick and Andy Bueller. We're all here uh, this week. We got a um, different week of football coming up this week because of the uh, in-service school day on Friday. We got uh, about four games on Thursday this week, and then the rest of the schedule on Friday. Um, I thought we'd kind of take a uh, a step back and kind of look a little bit as we're moving towards the playoffs this week and talk about something broader. Um, the, the playoff format for football is, is a little bit different this week, or this year, um, as, the, as we head into uh, the state tournament and that um, the brackets won't be set out. Usually at this time of the year, we can, you, you can look at the bracket and see where teams will be passed, what their path is, is going to move on towards the playoffs. But this year, um, the WIA came up with a, uh, a committee format in which um, the teams will be seated by different committees of about, was it about a 12, 12 people on every committee? Yes, every that's class right. Yeah, 36 total, 12 on each committee. Yeah, so, um, so these folks are going to be um, looking at teams uh, in the course of the season, and I'm just kind of wondering about how that is sort of changing the approach. I think, Meg, you mentioned something that one of the coaches, local coaches, said last week about uh, how they sort of pay attention to stats and scores and stuff and it's, it's, it seems like maybe it's, it might be changing how teams approach games this year because they're trying to make an impression. Yeah, no, there, there's actually been not just one, but I think, uh, I believe three coaches in, in Southwest Washington have mentioned they're paying attention to their stats a little bit more. They're paying attention to really how many points they're scoring per game. And that's really kind of the last thing you think that coach would be thinking about. But again, you're trying to impress committee members statewide. The majority of them have never probably seen any of these teams play. And so you're trying to impress folks based on kind of the, the paper stats, so to speak. I'm curious, the, the, the coaches who have it in their mind that they want to impress these committee members, are they thinking that's going to be strictly done by stats? Or are they uh, maybe anticipating that some game film will start spreading around and, and uh, weigh the equation a little bit? It's a little bit of everything. I think you have to factor in uh, game film. You have to factor in um, in-person attendance. The committee members have each been given uh, an official pass from the WIA to allow them into games free of charge. Um, they are trying to spread around trying to get to as many games as possible. There's one committee member I've been to who is not a media member, but is an ex-coach and is trying to go from King County to Snohomish County and just trying to get as much knowledge of these teams as, as possible. It, it's not a perfect system. I know this is kind of a one-year trial deal, but it's definitely in a step in the right direction as far as kind of the predetermined seeds that we've been seeing. Right. So the, the process that, that sort of developed in this is that the WIA first started looking at uh, RPI, which they used to see teams for basketball the last two years. Yes. And uh, so they were looking to implement that RPI in other sports, and they looked for it in football. The, the conclusion that they, they, they came is that uh, a 10-game schedule just doesn't provide enough data to um, produce the end result that people would hope to see. I know I've been seeing tweets from over in Oregon and they use RPI and Collie uh, Index rankings. And I'm seeing tweets from people about how they're really upset with that system. Uh, I think one example was uh, the, the number two team in the large school classification, I think it's Clackamas, 
is number two behind number one. I think it's is it Lake, Lake Oswego. That sounds about right. If it's yeah. not, yeah. Anyway, but and so but Clackamas has beaten Lake Oswego, mm -hmm. but they're still ranked number two, and that's that's sort of what we learned about RPIs. Not so much wins and losses as it is your opponents and your opponents' opponents. How much that is weighted, and so it's it's you know it's kind of a not a altogether perfect system. So they decided to move to this committee format where it kind of let, lets people kind of look at all sorts of different factors in um, to make their conclusion about where they think teams ought to be. But it's, it is interesting that coaches are mentioning that they're making a, a you know or at least thinking about the performance that they're that they're trying to you know, s score some style points with the committee members. Well, and I, I really think it puts into focus the pros and cons of a computer-based evaluation and a human-based evaluation. As as we all know, as as human beings, we're sometimes fallible, and we're, you know, we we uh, we have our own biases and and uh, blind spots. But uh, uh, so do computers in a lot of ways, especially when you're talking about sports and these these. Uh, uh, formulas where you, you do have a situation where a team that has beaten another team head-to-head -head can be ranked behind them because of uh, strength of schedule or margin of victory or whatnot so I, I, I think it really th this debate really lays bare the whole tension between a computer-based system and a human-based evaluation system right and I think um, you know it's also interesting that you know you mentioned uh, margin of victory uh, that's, I think that's always one component that uh, coaches and administrators have, have been sort of reluctant to bring in as a factor in this because they don't want coaches coaching to the scoreboard. Right. You know, you want, you want uh, I mean, one of their prime goals in the WIA is participation. So, you know, team gets up 40 points, the clock's running, you go bring in your freshmen, your JV kids, and they participate, and, you know, the end score might be, you know, 42 to 14 because of two late touchdowns or something like that, but are now coaches now thinking, well, maybe I need to keep my starters in a little bit longer. I need to make that look a little bit better to the committee members. And so in some ways, you know, that's, that, that's becoming a, could become a factor for some folks. One aspect I think I'm curious to see what the committee does is strength of schedule, and I'm going to give Hawkinson as an example. Um, they've been number one ranked in the AP rankings since week three obviously the defending state champions, but the team that's number two since week three is Tumwater, the team that Hawkinson beat for the state championship last year. The strength of schedule favors Tumwater in my opinion. They have beaten um, two 3A teams, Yelm and Timberline. They've played 4A Bellarmine and hammered them and also played McNary, a 6A team near Salem, as their non-league schedule. The only non-league team uh, Hawkinson's beaten um, an impressive win on, on TV was Archbishop Murphy but you look at the rest of the non-league schedule and it's not as impressive as Tumwater and so when you look at maybe a strength of schedule factor that would be probably the one aspect I would give that maybe Hawkinson doesn't have the edge over um, when the, the committee goes to uh, well, that on Sunday you, after week nine? You know, to that point, uh, you, you start looking at uh, not, not just your own strength of schedule, but opponent's strength of schedule. And, and uh, Archbishop Murphy really has, it, it might not be as strong as, uh, or their body of work might not be as you know, impressive as in previous years. Are, are they, uh, I believe last week they were 
tenth in the two A state rankings. What what's Archbishop Murphy now with in today's rankings? Are they nine? They're nine. They're nine. So so instead of a, a a very good win, which Hawkinson's win over Archbishop was um, uh, in previous years, that might have been uh, an, an oh, go- oh uh, you know an oh my gosh moment, but. Now Archbishop is, is maybe a, a step behind where they have been in previous years. That and I think they've only played four games. They yeah. had uh, their Rainier Beach game canceled because of a, a bomb threat at Archbishop before the game, and then I think they had a scheduled bye in week five. And so they are two and two right now going into week seven. Right. And Hawkinson doesn't play this week because they were scheduled to play West Seattle, um, and West Seattle pulled back because they were just – not a very good program. They had a first-year coach last year. And they had a lot of turnover, and they decided that it wasn't. I think they're playing an independent schedule now. So Hawkinson doesn't have a game this week. Um, so to Meg's point about finding the strength of schedule, I think they would have loved to find to fill that week with the, the quality opponent. Now they've got a, a bye week heading into the last two weeks of league season. Well, and that's why I'm so curious to see how these brackets fill out. Where, it, like you said, Tim, in the past. Uh, by now you could kind of chart where teams were going to go and, and have a good idea of potential matchups. I'm going to be really interested to see once you start putting teams in the brackets, how much of it is going to be different than in previous years. Or, and uh, uh, is it going to be a system that everyone basically thinks uh, solved some of the problems that were out there? Or are we still going to have some people saying, the system is flawed, and and we're getting matchups that we uh, and, and that's where I think it's going to be tough because some people will think, well, this matchup should have maybe you know this is a, a matchup worthy of the semifinals, and others might say, no, that's a good quarterfinal matchup if it if it pans out that way between two very strong teams. I mean, at the end of the day, once you get to the final eight, every team's good, but some people might think, you know, they they want a little bit of an easier road than than the uh, system provides this year. There are some folks out there who even think what they're doing now with the seating committee is still not right. And I think, like I said earlier, it's a step in the right direction. They're going to test this out and see how they do. But um, I think based off what we'll see this year will influence what we see in in future years. What's the the biggest gripe that you've heard from, from this current system? Oh God! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we got an extra. I know. Yeah, we're gonna be here for about an hour. Um, <laughs> What's the most common one? Most a, a lot of folks say that. Oh, oh, we should do what what Oregon does. What what Tim was referring to earlier with the Kali system and and the RPI. They've Composite. been doing that. Yeah, for for about six or eight years now. I think it is. And there's a lot of things that the OSA does right. And I know there's a lot of things that the WIA is looking around to other state associations to kind of piggyback on and see how to make their playoff system work. But a lot of it is, well, why can't we just do this? Or uh, The biggest thing I would say is, why can't we do what Oregon is, is doing? And that's implementing the two the two systems kind of merging right. into one. Right. And then, and, but then you look at on Twitter and you see folks in Oregon are uh, unhappy with right. their yeah. rankings right. too. Right. So it's like, there's always going to be, I think, I think the, the biggest problem they have with this committee that they're going to run into, and whether or not they get the, the brackets right or wrong, is that there's always going to be somebody who says, mm-hmm. you got it wrong, and they're going to be somebody who says, oh, well, this area of the state doesn't get the respect from that area of this, the state, and there's a bias and blah, 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 you know, whatever, whatever region of the state you come from, especially if you're mm-hmm. in an isolated area. 
Well, and I, I think you're going to see that complaint a lot more in a classification that has maybe one dominant team and then everyone else kind of a step back because I think everyone who happens to run into that dominant team before, say, the semifinals or the finals is going to think that they got the raw end of the deal. Right. And I mean, yeah. yeah. You look at uh, 3A. 3A typically has been a very top-heavy classification. And so that's what, you know, like fans at Mountain View are looking. They're looking, they're looking to get a four, five seed because that can maybe get them a better road towards the semifinals when you don't have to go to the quarterfinals and match up against this Eastside Catholic of Bellevue and O'Day or something like that. So trying to find that right seeding spot could make a difference. You drop back seven to eight now you're meeting some of those tough teams in the quarterfinal. Well, and I think it's going to be a completely different situation in the 4A where you have five or six teams that have a pretty good case of being a, you know, a, a state finalist contender, whether it be Union or Graham Kapowson or Puyallup or Mount Si. I, you, you look at that, I think you're going to look at the top eight and say, you know, everyone, you know, th those are good matchups across the board, whether it's you, know, you, you match up against a Sumner or, or whoever. But because, uh, you know, it, I, I just think it's going to be really interesting to see the reception and the difference of how people react to the, the, the brackets, whether it be, like Tim said, a top heavy league in the 3A versus the 4A, where there's a little bit more parity amongst the, 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 the top five or six teams. Especially in 4A, like you said, Mike, I think we're going to see a lot more of the quote unquote maybe state final in the quarterfinal matchups at least if not the, the semifinals. I know last year Union felt like got a raw deal playing Sumner in the first round and Sumner ended up uh, playing in the state semifinals but I think in 4A because there's so much balance uh, the top eight to ten teams that we could see a lot of those great games starting in the quarterfinals. Yeah I think you're yeah I think again the 4A because I think there's you know I think it's, it's there's a lot of parity there so you're going to run into some you're going to run into some really good matchups, especially as you get towards the quarterfinals, regardless. But, but you know, I think Meg mentioned something the other day. is like, you know, what kind of factors are these committee members going to take into account? Um, is, it, is it results? Is it, uh, is it history? I thought about that, too. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, I mean, I, I can remember, like, um, like last year, I think uh, a team that was getting some, you know, buzz was, uh, I think it was a Auburn Riverside. Or something, and and people were buzzing because they were eight and zero and had these impressive records. And I was going, North Puget Sound League in the four A has historically not been very good in week ten. I think they're like something like three and seventeen over the last three years in, in week ten games. So I was like looking at that team, going, ah, you know, I, that that league's got to sort of prove something to me. So I don't know if that's a factor that people take into account. They go, well, this this league hasn't done very well in the past, so you know, I don't know how good. And the other thing is. Is especially in high school football, do you put more weight to games six weeks, six, seven, right. eight, nine, right. or those games in week one, two, three? In high school football, teams can look wildly different from early September to late October. Yeah, they, either they come together or in a lot of cases you'll have an athlete that maybe was hurt or ineligible to start the season and, and you in high school football especially one athlete can make such a huge difference uh, you know, whether it's a playmaker or a quarterback so yeah what part of the 
team's year do you really focus on before you peg them into a certain spot, spot if you're a committee member? I think of a team like Camus, who's sitting right now at, what, 3-3, three and three, and they've really, you know, challenged themselves in, in non-league. They started at a, you know, a good 3A team, Lincoln, who's in the top 10 and has got some really strong players. Um, and they lost by, like, you know, three points. They All of their losses, they lose to Bellevue on a last-second field goal, and then they lose... Um, you know, last week at Sumner, in, you know, by one touchdown, and they were within striking distance. So, you know, if, if Camus gets a couple of, you know, say they beat Skyview and play Lincoln really, or play Union really tough, um, you know, they, they could have, you know, make leaps and bounds in a few weeks. I, I will be willing to venture and say that the number one, whichever team ends up being the number one seed in the 4A, if Camus is say an eight seed in the quarterfinals. Is any is any team going to want to play Camus <laughs> in the no. quarterfinals? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. No. I mean, it's, it's very possible that yeah. openings if Camus makes it the state, they'll go, "Hey, Camus is six and four. Well, that doesn't look that good." But you have that tradition, yeah, that, that sure. history, yeah, of Camus football, and you know who they played in those mm-hmm. four losses. So, um, but you know, but for some folks, you look at win loss records, and that could be. Uh, have some added weight on it. You go six and four is not all that impressive. But and another thing too, I know like Coach Eagle is is a coach who uh, likes to rotate a lot of people in. He likes to get younger kids um, into the rotation. You'll you'll often see him in the second quarter bringing in second teamers to face somebody else's first teamer. It's how he builds a program year to year to year, especially in non-league games. He'll do that. Um, you know so. But you know, on paper, the end result might not look as good. And so, does that impact where they get seated when they get, the committee puts together a racket? And that's the good thing about the committee is because you can the twelve members in there can drop okay one through sixteen. Who are you going to place where? Give you 10, 15 minutes, and then let's talk about it. And folks can talk about six and four Camus if they are six and four, and say you know this is the reason why I picked them as the seed I did. Right. But it's uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, that all shakes out in the coming weeks. And I know that what the committee gets together after week nine is that is that right? Yes, the Sunday after week nine. And then they'll come together again the Sunday after week ten to actually set the brackets and set the pairings. So um, yeah, I think we're going to be reaching out to some committee members to get their input over the you know, those weeks heading into those last uh, uh, key weeks to get uh, a little bit more perspective about you know, what's their approach and what instructions they've received and, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. I hope that I know the brackets as it was set up previously when it was sort of randomly put together um, was often geographically slanted. You know, east side teams stayed on the east side of the state as long as possible and west side kept on the west. I'm wondering that if they're going to follow the same format in basketball where it didn't matter anymore because, you know, one played 16, two plays eight, or well, actually in basketball, it's a little bit different, but it'll be interesting to see how that, uh, you know, you're going to see teams crossing the state. For, We're going to see team. a lot more than that we have in the past. Yeah. yeah. That's good. I want to cover a game on uh, that Saturday after I cover state cross country. <laughs> give, it, give it to me. <laughs> I'll, I'll go to Kennewick. I'll go to Pasco. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I think state cross is week ten. Right. Uh, yes, yeah. it is. So then it, we have had teams play week ten over there. So it won't be the uh, won't be the committee weighing in yet. But uh, uh, yeah, craziness will ensue. That's for sure. Yeah. 
Uh, let, well, let's talk about things that we saw last week uh, about teams that uh, surprised us, or uh, as you know, as as the teams are now moving towards a stretch run of the league. Is, is there anything you saw in games last week uh, that stuck out at you? Yeah, I'll start uh, with Skyview. Uh, even though they lost 21-15 um, at Kiggins Bowl to Union, it was a very uh, impressive showing and a very wet night. It was uh, consistently raining all night, but um, Jalian McGee really impressed me. 77-yard punt return for a touchdown, 75-yard touchdown run, and also had two picks. One of them came in the final 5.30 of the game to set up what would have been um, the game-winning score if, if, uh, if Skyview did so. But um, That was a heck of a play, that dive. It was the tip, the tip pass, yeah. yeah. No, it was, and he missed the past two games uh, with a heart condition that uh, ended up being not um, as severe as they uh, once thought after clearing with some tests. So he is good to go the rest of the way. And I know they play Camus, and uh, I think it'll be a, a pretty good showing for for uh, next week. Do we know anything more about Lincoln Victor? He missed a good portion of the second half there with an injury. Yeah, he said, uh, he told me post game it was basically just a deep bone bruise in his back and I asked him point blank, are you going to be good to go for Heritage? And he said 100% he will be. So we should see Lincoln Victor uh, Thursday night playing Heritage. Yeah, um, well yeah, I, I think with Skyview, it, it's a team that you're kind of, because again, uh, Jelani McGee was out two weeks, so it's kind of like you kind of want to see him with all cylinders firing, you know, because um, the, the passing last week was hard on everyone in, in that uh, conditions, and playing in a union defense doesn't make it any easier. So, you know, I think uh, I think uh, Coach Kaiser would like to see his team all moving in the same direction, and then they could be. I think I think he even said that if they play well, yeah. they can compete. So. If if Skyview played as well as it did in the second half as it did in the first half, and they were down twenty-one three at halftime, it would have been a much different outcome for Skyview. Just an aside, every time I see Skyview and, and what they're able to do and compete against a team like Union like that, and you know, basically their whole lineup are, are all returning next year. <laughs> they're going to be really, really good coming back. And these, this is a team that, that you know, hadn't played a ton, a lot of guys who hadn't played a ton together you know, coming into the year. So. Yeah, they're almost all juniors, sure. all of them. And a lot of them go both ways. So they should be, they're good this year, but they'll be probably even better next year. Yeah, uh, I wish I could say more about the three A's, but uh, I, was, I, I was out at uh, Mountain View Prairie because it was the early game at McKenzie, so it was a good one for me to be at before heading back to the office and, and putting the paper to bed. But uh, regardless of the, the matchup, which was a lopsided one with Mountain View beating Prairie, I'm, I'm just so impressed by Mountain View's playmakers. They can beat you in so many ways, whether it's uh, Garrett Moen at the quarterback position or Makai Anderson or, or uh, Philip Earnhardt as receivers. But uh, I wrote a little bit in our kind of day after roundup about uh, Jack Mertens. And you talk about a model of efficiency. He is averaging eight or 11.7 yards per carry. He's uh, number two in the county for uh, for rushing yardage, but he's doing it on, on, you know, about half the carries that Tyler Flanagan, the leading rusher, has done it with. 11.7 yards per carry. Uh, then you add on to that, he's also quite a, a weapon uh, when it comes to, to catching passes. And so basically every time he, he touches the ball, Jack Mertens is gaining 12.8 yards. Just call him Mr. First Down. That's efficiency right that there. Is, That's uh, impressive. Well, Andy, you saw two games last week, so what did you see? Yeah, that's right. It's, 
so I went up uh, to Sumner to see Camus Sumner and you know a Camus team that came in averaging just under 50 points a game uh, really had a hard time getting their offense going at, at any level and um, it's it's tough when you throw four interceptions to you know one guy um, I'm blanking on his name now but the Sumner defensive back um, who's just a heck of an athlete you know there were a couple of them that were thrown kind of overthrows right to him and he made a couple of really good plays um, but uh, Cam Camus um, really looked down and out until um, the you know last few minutes when Shane Jamison had a 71-ish yard uh, interception return for touchdown um, Camus's lone score of the night with defensive touchdown um, to bring them within a score uh, they got down to just you know just about the red zone edge of the red zone um, on a final drive that you know last I think like with a minute 11 left they got the ball back and Andrew Boyle and uh, Luke Sturbell um, linked up a few times and and it looked like their offense was really humming as you know as as they were desperate to get down the field and and uh, you know there was a sack to end the game so Camus comes up just short uh, at Sumner they're still trying to figure things out um, quarterback situation they have not figured it out yet um, they're still uh, running uh, senior Andrew Boyle and um, sophomore Jake Blair uh, kind of interchangeably and you know through the first couple series Boyle started last week and uh, he also started at safety uh, went the first few series, and then um, Blair came in, and then he kind of just, uh, Coach Eagle kind of just plays the hot hand, and, and Boyle was the hot hand last week. Um, so, you know, I'm not really sure what to make of, of, of last week for Camus. Um, yeah, well, with, with Camus, the interesting thing about them is uh, they have three losses to three really good teams in Lincoln, Bellevue, and, uh, and Sumner. And they've all been close down to the wire, and I think this is where you're gonna. That that's the last step that Camus needs to make to get back to to being the elite program that we all kind of you know have have gotten used to. Is that ability to win those tough games when it's close, and that really comes down to experience. And you look at Camus having you know, to replace basically all of their all league. Players from last year, with the exception of Andrew Boyle, who was an all-league kicker, but they're just one step away from being the kind of team that can pull off those kind of victories, those those close games against good competition, where it comes down to someone making a play or not making mis a mistake at a crucial moment. And the question this year for Camus is going to be: Are they going to make that step in time for the playoffs, where? You're probably gonna. You know you're gonna be against a good team. You know you're gonna come down to a situation where someone needs to make a play with a game on the line. Are you gonna be able to take that final step here in the next few weeks? Sure. Yeah. You know. Uh, you know their first game, a sophomore in his very first varsity game, throwing a pick that was intercepted by a you know a future you know power five cornerback. Um, it is the deciding factor in in that first game, and then you have a you know last second field goal in their um, their loss to Bellevue, and and then last week, you know they they were humming on that last drive and reasonably could have on those last two plays, uh, you know they they went for the end zone. I think 
you know, Luke Sturbell was really close, um, you know, barely, barely uh, out of bounds on, on, on one play uh, catch in the end zone. So, yeah, you're right. You're well, right. Three, I mean, three plays away from, from, you know, having a significantly different record. And I don't think there's that big of a talent gap between Camus and, say, Union. I mean, but the difference with Union is they have so much experience coming back with players that have been in those situations. And you look at what Union has been able to do in close games against really good opponents this year, whether it be Pialop or, or the win down in California against a good team down in the Bay Area, or even holding off Skyview when you know, you've, you've had a few bad breaks go your way. And, and I just think that's the difference experience makes and having people who have been in those situations uh, you know, when, it, when it's on the line. And, and I, I think that's why the Union Camus game this year is going to be really intriguing because I don't think there is a, a, you know, two, a, a big gulf between them. But uh, uh, we're going to see the experience card really be played there. Sure, yeah. And, and you know, like I said earlier when we were talking about the, the playoff committee is that you know, Camus has, you know, opportunities to, you know, reclaim their season. They have, they can, you know, they have two games that will be major decision makers in, uh, or major factors in, in the playoff committee's uh, decision making for them when it comes to the postseason. So that was uh, the Thursday game I saw. Friday, jetted back, made it to Chiefson Stadium uh, to see Columbia River and Washougal. You know, a really good um uh, two-way game that that uh, I didn't really know what to um, expect going in. I mean, River's defense um, has a ton of experience and a lot of seniors, and Washougal's been, you know, had a lot of young, uh, talented players step up this season. Um, so both of the games that I had covered from uh, Columbia River uh, so far this season uh, was a blowout loss to Skyview and a blowout loss to Hawkinson, and River head coach Christian Swain had insisted that both games, both of those games were, um, you know, in the trenches a lot closer than the score um, might have uh, dictated. Uh, well, if if he was, you know, right then, you know, he coached a heck of a game last Friday, and and River's defense. Uh, when you know the passing game was uh, you know tough to come by on Friday when it was pouring down rain uh, the entire time. Washougal likes to keep a really balanced passing attack, uh, and and said as much before the game. I asked Dave Hayjack, hey, you know, hey, it's pouring down rain. Are you guys going to run the ball more? Nope, <laughs> nope, we're not going to. We're going to keep it balanced. Uh, River, um, they made you know big plays when it mattered. And uh, we're able to march back from a 13-7 um, uh, deficit throughout most of the second half. And uh, it was a, an interception by Moniel Hedgeman really late. Um, even before that, it was a blocked field goal um, by, I don't know who blocked it, but uh, Tyrell Vaval returned that to the, like the 48. And, you know, big plays on the defensive end kept River in the game. and. Uh, you know, a, a couple of additions, uh, guys getting their first minutes of the season for one reason or another um, in the wide receiver core um, were able to present some surprises to Washougal. And, uh, and River was able to hold on 14-13, and that's a, that's a win that's going to have, uh, you know, potentially some, some implications, you know, heading into the Yeah, I, if, if, if River can uh, beat Ridgefield this week, their last league game is, is, is in week eight because they have a non-leaguer against Clarkston in week nine. So basically, 
they're going to go into that game with week eight with Woodland, and essentially for second place right sure. there. And, yeah. and it's possible that even before kickoff, the playoff seeds could potentially be determined already. So it was like a playoff game in a lot of ways for, for River last week. Um, I headed up into the Gorge last Friday. Great game. 17 years I've been here. Never been to a game at Stevenson, and I mentioned that to Coach uh, Dave Waymeyer at Stevenson. He goes, well, maybe you should come out more often. <laughs> and I was like, it was, a, it was a great experience, a great game. Uh, La Center, Stevenson, um, a great night ended up for, for Stevenson. Uh, you know, the game started out, and Coach Waymeyer even said this, that because of the, the, way, the rain, they, they thought, they goes, well, we're going to have to try to run the ball more. And they got a nice 45-yard uh, touchdown on their very first play from Leak and Croak. But then after that, they were just not being able to move the ball consistently on the run where LeCenter was. And so LeCenter took a 21-6 lead by the second quarter, and it really looked like LeCenter had this thing in control. Uh, Stevenson gets an interception late second quarter. Stevenson's able to convert that into a touchdown, make it 21-13, get within a score before halftime. Stevenson gets the opening kickoff. They march downfield. They score a touchdown, get a two-point conversion. It's 21-21. They get a defensive stop in the third quarter, drive down, and uh, Brandon uh, Connell goes 40 yards for a touchdown, and they're up 27-21. And still, midway through the third quarter, and you thought there was going to be more scoring. Uh, I was kind of waiting for the center to start to lean on Stevenson to run the ball the the way they were in the first half. But... Stevenson made some adjustments, and they just came up and just uh, played some really good physical football. And they kept uh, uh, they got a couple uh, couple fumbles. One one fumble, the ball just popped out of the hand of the, uh, the center quarterback because of the slick conditions. Another you know another fumble was right as Stevenson was or the center was driving uh, inside the 25 with uh, the chance to either tie the game or take the lead late. And they got a fumble, and then Stevenson, with about five minutes to go, they got the ball, and they just uh, picked up first downs and eating clock and making the center take time out. And uh, the Wildcats got the ball at their own 20 with about 30 seconds to go and just didn't have enough time and ended up with a, another interception. And Stevenson gets his first win over the center since 2010. And, uh, and everyone out in Stevenson was really excited about, about that win. Um, the Trico League's kind of wide open. I mean, in the in the in the sense that there's really no freebie games. You, know, you can see, that, you know, this week you can see, you know, Kingsway jumping up and beating White Salmon or Stevenson losing at Castle Rockets. You know, so um, so they, so the, the Stevenson players said that they know they had to keep working, keep plugging. But uh, hey, we might come back to the Gorge Week Nine for White Salmon and Stevenson. Oh yeah. That was the center's first league loss in like four years, wasn't 2015, it? 2015. Uh, I believe they lost to Kalama when Kalama was still a 1A school. That was their last Trico loss. Yeah. yeah. Underscore so, is a big big win for Stevenson. I remember coming, coming into the season us just saying, like, you know, e- even after the center was 0-4, you know, we know John Lambert's schedule as well. We know the program he's built there um, and, and what he's, you know, been able to do and just for, for Stevenson to pull that out. Well, it was a great, great atmosphere. Atmosphere for football. Uh, it's always nice to get out and cover the the one eight teams out there. And uh, nice, uh, it was a worthwhile trip. To make that hour long venture back <laughs> into the into the gorge and the white knuckled trip back in midnight in the pouring rain. But we made it, so it was it was a good trip. Did you write all your? Did you write everything and post everything from out at, at Stevenson? Yeah, I, I wrote and filed everything from Stevenson, and then 
and after I was all done, I came back at midnight or whatever, and then I got back to Vancouver and worked on the video. So the odd hours of a sports reporter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's funny. I tweeted that video out at one thirty, and then, then I had the center fans liking it away. So it was. They were up and waiting for it, so they were celebrating well to the night, Stevenson. The odd hours of a football fan. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that'll wrap it up for this week. Um, we'll be back uh, next week, and hopefully by next week we'll get a clearer picture of the postseason um, as teams work towards uh, Week 10 district, quad district playoffs, and we'll have a better picture about um, what local teams will be heading off towards the playoffs and who they might be playing. So. Uh, well, I hope to have you back next week. So until then, thanks for joining. <laughs>